0: Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, brought to you by Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers in our My Racing Life and Career series. Our guest, this time, brand new IMSA president, John Doonan. We actually recorded this in the paddock of then Mazda Raceway Laguna Seca, I believe in October of 2017. It might have even been 2016. I genuinely don't remember. Wanted to sit down with a big man, get his thoughts about where he came up in the sport, where racing fit into his life, and had a really wonderful conversation with John. A lot of fantastic stories from him. A lot of things that, as you might be adjusting to the idea of a new IMSA president, this, as I found listening back to most of it, really helped me to have a deeper appreciation for who he is what he's made of and understanding how his passion for racing, his background growing up genuinely from the age of zero in a racing family, his faith, how so many things tie together to make him who he is, but also make him what he has become. This is a person that does nothing but help people in ways that, are sometimes public often private I can certainly vouch for that not everything is meant for social media which is why this hasn't been shared until here and now knowing that it will be a a smaller family audience there's one person after the recent IMSA race in Monterey at now WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca who asked if he could stop on the drive from the track to the airport to see my wife say hello, meet her, but also just spend some time with her, offering encouragement, offering support, offering prayers. And that was John Doonan. And this is very typical of who he is. Busy weekend, flat-out weekend, racing team to run. As we now know, lots of other planning on a much bigger stage for a new job. And rather than bolting directly for the airport, actually spent about an hour diverting, and then adding probably another hour to his drive on top of that due to the traffic and time. But wanted to come and stop, get to meet my wife, and just share some love, share some support for her. That is who Imsa's president happens to be. You tack on all the other skills and experience and aptitude that comes with it, and I do believe IMSA is headed for a brighter future. It's also faced with a lot of challenges that Dunan will inherit. Written about that on Racer today, so hopefully you will dive into that, but here, this is getting to know the man that will lead IMSA into a new decade and potentially, and as I anticipate going to be leading this for quite some time. I don't know if IMSA has had anyone like Dunan before, but as you learn from him about his past, about his passions, just about who he is at his core in this episode of my racing life and career on the Marshall Pruitt podcast, I hope you will have a deeper understanding of the person who will be steering North America's greatest sports car property.
1: Mr. Doonan, you do a heck of a lot for a lot of people in motor racing. We see you seemingly everywhere. Open wheel sports cars. I might have seen you at the off-road stadium truck race. I don't know. You're all over the place. You're You're handing big checks to young drivers, helping them come up Mazda Road to Indy, Mazda Road to 24. It occurred to me that A lot of people see you and know you for the benevolence that you bring on behalf of Mazda. Programs that you write, along with your associates as well, to make happen. But maybe they don't know you. Maybe they don't know as much about you as they should. So other than being motor racing Santa to so many drivers who owe their careers to you, I just wanted to sit down for an hour and say... Tell me about where you grew up. Tell me about the time you grew up, your parents. What was John Doonan's very early world that obviously helped contribute to the racing stuff we'll get to later?
2: Well, the the things that we do now as Mazda and that I have the opportunity to give back on behalf of Mazda to the sport, I've often thought is... A way for me to give back to the sport that gave me so much from six weeks old at the June Sprints at Road America to you know, go to my first Indy 500 when I was seven, to all the other club races that I went to with my dad and his friends. So, you know, we grew up in the Chicago suburbs. Um, Mom and dad met downtown Chicago. Dad was working at the Board of Trade. My mom was working at the Federal Reserve Bank. Wow. And the girls in her office put her phone number up in the window, which you could see across the alleyway. <laughs> My dad, yeah, it's, it's a Hollywood movie in the making. Um, and Dad called her, and uh, they ended up on their first date at Hamburger Heaven in Elmhurst, Illinois, and uh, Dad had... Done some racing in the Navy. He started out in Formula V's. Uh, he was stationed in Long Beach, California, so he went through his first driver school out on the West Coast, and always had a bug for motorsport. His his father uh, was a big car enthusiast, and and mostly circle track uh, hey. midgets and sprint cars. Um, and so that that's that's the motorsport connection straight through dad and and grandpa and. Um, you know, what I get to do now is absolutely a boyhood dream. It's, um, I, I I can't explain. It's The travel's tough on my family and I, but uh,
1: it is, it's a boyhood dream. So knowing that your dad was a racer, was that a part of the family culture? Because, you know, in some scenarios you can see where... Dad loves cars, and that's thing, his thing, and he goes off and plays on the weekend, and uh, the rest of the family isn't necessarily part of it. And then you have some other families, frankly, like mine that I grew up in, where I don't know if my dad just viewed me like an extra set of tires or a can of motor oil, but he'd throw me in the back seat of the truck along with all the other stuff for the weekend. And, you know, I was part of the packing list, but what was your household like what you know was this the racing dune family or, or what was it what
2: was well that? it was it was definitely a family affair we went to the racetrack on all those weekends that dad was was club racing as a family the same station wagon or eventually uh chevy van that that took me to school every day was the tow vehicle um so you know rain tires and toolbox and (laughs) a milk crate filled with uh castrol and fram filters was in the back uh, during the weekend and and you know during the the week is what where my book bag was uh, in the back seat um so we went as a family at home uh we had a, a garage separate from the house uh, that did not hold our cars in Chicago winters. It held the race cars. Wow. Um, and so we built, Dad built all the motors there. So I think in the shop hours, it was always Dad and I out there. Um, I took plenty of a, uh, a bath after helping steel wool, you know, my, uh, Volkswagen chassis before they went <laughs> yeah. to powder coating and, and such. But, you know, that Mom and Dad had an intercom system and, you know, cold Chicago winters, it was uh, the intercom would buzz and mom would say lunch is ready and we wow. go in and, you know step through the snow and it was grilled cheese and tomato soup <laughs> for lunch That's uh, awesome. and always chocolate milk.
1: Always chocolate milk. We're going to talk about chocolate milk a little in a little bit here. So there's a, a lot of scenarios that could take place. Dad's a racer. We like working on the cars, being a part of that, but it's. Being with your dad, time emulating possibly your father. Then there's the other form, which is, and I want to do this too. Yeah. Tell me about how this evolved for you as a, you know a young boy, and this being a family activity to uh, junior high, high school, and and moving on from there. Because I know that outside of motor racing, uh, athletics has been a part of your life. Uh, this is. For some of our listeners, might not care, but I value this heavily. uh, God-fearing and God-loving man and family as well. Um, I might be wrong, but this sounds like an idyllic family setting for the boy growing up in Illinois to do a lot of cool things growing up and embrace a lot of different passions.
2: Yeah, so, you know, when Dad was club racing, um, when we went to the track, especially in those early years uh when he first really started campaigning on a regular basis it was mid er, early to mid 70s 1974 was his first uh full season and i wasn't really at that point capable super super capable of changing tires and, and things like that and what i did was i it sounds kind of corny, but I worked the paddock. I, I went to, to people's paddocks and stood and talked to them, all these other drivers. No matter what class they were in, handing them tools, um, polishing their stuff. Wow. I, mean, I, was, I was kind of a track rat. And um, it got to a place, frankly, where I had to check in at lunchtime and throughout the day because I would get to a place like Road America, Blackhawk Farms and vanish for the day and my parents <laughs> wouldn't see me so they were concerned about me eating and drinking and all the normal stuff you need to do during the day at the racetrack and I was off talking to all these drivers getting to know you know their backgrounds and uh, it, it was not a situation and I think everyone imagined that I was going to become a driver um, at, at least at the grassroots level and it was it was absolutely uh, the opposite it was kind of the business side of the sport the PR the marketing side of the sport which was most intriguing Um, I used to instead of collect baseball cards I'd have all the results sheets from the race weekend really and I would take a cassette recorder after the weekend and I'd have my own personal radio show with myself and I would report back through the cassette recorder of the race results from the weekend
1: How amazing.
2: I'd sit in my my room and and read those race results. And, uh, you know, we're talking about perennial SCCA champions like Jerry Hansen and, and, you know, local guys that did well, a guy named Rick Dittman that eventually ran Trans Am and won an IMSA race at Mid-Ohio back when they had the American Challenge Series. And Scott Rubenzer, who was racing Formula Vs, ended up racing Formula Fords. I mean, just all these guys that you know, started racing with dad that eventually made it to the runoffs or maybe did a pro race that, you know, I was, I, I was their biggest fan.
1: So were your parents downstairs, your sister going, oh, there's that Johnny boy talking to himself again, <laughs> uh, and you still have those cassette tapes.
2: Yeah, I wish I wish I had them. I, I don't. Um, but, you know, I raced to the mailbox after school to get the latest issue of Sports Car Magazine or Midwestern Council is where dad did a lot of racing. They had a a monthly publication called the Claxon, and i I'd, I'd race to to beat dad to the klaxon or to the sports car just to read all the results that i already knew what happened because i had wow. been at the race event um and just read the articles and then i ended up starting to write some articles as a kid uh, for the Claxon and for other publications so it was really the business side of the sport uh, i was the kid hanging on the side of the fence wanting to be part of the action uh, now, uh, I, I honestly pinch myself. I can't believe how deeply involved myself, Mazda, and all my colleagues are in, in the sport and what we've been able to accomplish. It's, it's ridiculous. But you know, Blackhawk Farms had these garbage cans, 55-gallon drums like we see at the racetrack, but they had these tops on them that had a rim and a dome in the center with the little door that flapped open. And I would sit up on the top of that dome with my clipboard with two stopwatches on it and had a legal pad and I would time all the sessions and it was my own personal perch. And wow. uh, there's And there's a picture floating around of me sitting up on a garbage can with my to- two stopwatches on from when I was, you know, four or five, six years
1: old. You, th- this is <laughs> manifest destiny is what this is here. So you tell an, a pretty awesome story about Mazda's... Win at the 1991 24 Hours of Le Mans. I love that story because, to me, it speaks to a lack of mistakes. Meaning, you haven't. Where you are today isn't a mistake. It isn't just purely luck, Uh, and the manufacturer that you have been, you know, has been the love of your life as well. Share the story of how you watched Mazda become the first and only Asian manufacturer win because, um, you went to extremes, brother, that most people in college are face down drunk and don't even know that there was a race that took place halfway around the world.
2: Yeah, you know, that started when I was nine, uh, 1979, so 12 years before Mazda wins Le um. I go to Racine, Wisconsin with my dad on an Amtrak train from Chicago to buy our first family car, which is a Mazda 626. A guy named Rain Devotny owned the dealership. He raced with dad, and he raced uh, some Volkswagens, but he had a Volkswagen Mazda dealership, and uh, we went up there.
1: That has to be the most bizarre dealership <laughs> in 1979 or <laughs> yeah, It was or a, dual, whatever.
2: a dual dealership, uh, but it was Volkswagen Mazda, and... Uh, Ray signed the papers with Dad for our 626, but on the showroom floor was a white first-gen RX-7. Wow. And I sat there and stared at that car and really fell in love with the brand. Um, another gentleman that was the chief starter for Midwestern Council named Al Lynch had a RX-7. He drove on the street. But we went back in the service area after buying the car, and here sits two... RX sevens that had literally just been taken off the transporter that are being built into showroom stock race cars. Um, Ray had built them, uh, one yellow one and a bronze one, and uh, so Dad had these guys that raced Mazdas that he raced with, and and they did some showroom stock races together. So I fell in love with Mazda in that moment. I, I remember it. So then I'm following at you know Jim Downing and Roger Mandeville from then on. All the race results, they're killing everybody in GT, GTU with this, this new RX-7. Fast forward, uh, always was competitive. Um, I was a pretty tall kid. So I uh, started playing basketball when I was in uh, fourth and fifth grade. And uh, later on, uh, found that I, I had some, some, some small talent. Uh, couldn't jump very high, but I ran, ran all over the court Ended up playing some high school and college basketball. And so ended up at Augustana College in the Quad Cities, Rock Island, Illinois. Had the chance to play basketball at the Division III level, which is still a passion. I I still play in several leagues. Uh, I'm sure one of these days I'm going to blow a knee out and (laughs) people will see me in the paddock on crutches. But uh, during the summers at Augustana, our coach held basketball camps for little kids and asked several of the, the players from the team to stay back and coach kids. So you'd, you'd coach a week, you'd stay the weekend, and you'd coach another group of kids that came in on Sunday. And it uh, just so happened that the July 22nd, 23rd weekend, 1991, was a weekend between camps. Yes. And uh, I had been following Mazda. I was this huge fan of everything we were doing in IMSA. Knew the Le Mans story. Knew that we had tried for, you know, 16 times uh, to, to win that race. Um, Unfortunately, without success. And uh, at that time, I was able to uh, get the cable feed, the world feed of the race uh, in the dorm. And there was one cable line that came into the dorm. (laughs) Um, I ran the dorm uh, during the school year. So I had an apartment, and uh, I knew where the cable line came in. And uh, I crawled crawled up in the uh, ceiling, got the cable line, went to Radio Shack, and got... As much cable as I could buy and spliced all these cables together and ran the cable up through uh, the floor in my dorm and hooked it up to the single probe in this little tiny television. I stayed up all night watching the race. And, uh, you know, I, I'm i sitting there uh, by myself in a dorm room in Rock Island, Illinois. None of my basketball teammates understood this this fascination with racing, they joked about it all the time. Um, but, you know, as I watched history unfold right there, and I'm sitting there crying my eyes out on Sunday afternoon when Mazda, you know, wins the 24 Hours of Le Mans. It's, uh, it's magic.
1: So I happen to be watching that in a hotel in Portland. Uh, I forget what event I was there for, but it was some sort of, you know, IMSA or some race, but... Uh, I just thought I always thought it was cool hearing that story about how you went to such great lengths to be able to watch that and enjoy it. My dumbass is, you know, on the other end of the country, <laughs> literally just watching it while eating breakfast, you know, having put in no effort. But uh, both happened, you know, watching that at the same time. So tell me about high school, college aspirations from the the understanding of racing family they know you love racing but is that something where your parents are saying yes and young young johnny uh this is also a career track for you or this is a passion that you enjoy but there are probably some real jobs in the world you should pursue
2: so you're you're spot on um i thought of course that i was going to be a college basketball player um, and I was going to be a pro college basketball or a player or pro, pro pro basketball player as well. It's pretty obvious. Uh, long about uh, middle way through high school that that I, I wasn't going to be playing pro, but I, I I loved playing the game. I still do. Um, and I think it was more I dreamed of being in motorsport. I dreamed of working for Mazda, but. It was one of those, yeah, 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 yeah son. Um, that's great. You're gonna do that, but uh, you're gonna go to Augustana. Yeah, probably major in business. It seems like business and marketing is your passion. Um, but that that kind of stuff has been a hobby for our family. That'll probably be a hobby uh, for you down the road if you if you want to pursue that. But you know, it's about getting a college education mm. and getting a real getting a real job. Yeah. And um, I think. Uh, Again, my mom teases me about it to this day, because she said all I talked about was I want to go to Japan, I want to work for Mazda, um, and it it just never it never unfolded outside of being a fan of everything Mazda was doing in IMSA and and grassroots racing. It just wasn't it wasn't real. It wasn't a real a real deal. It was a dream, but it wasn't a real deal. I didn't know the right people, new guys. You know, I I was a fan of those guys, Mandeville Downing. You know, uh, Walt Boren, Stu Fisher. I mean, 1977, first national championship we had. But it wasn't real. It wasn't going to happen. And uh, so I, I just, I went to Augustana. I, I, I focused in high school on playing ball and getting good grades. Went to Augustana. Uh, it was a church school uh, that wasn't uh, an absolute, but it was a nice fit with my, my growing up years. Um, it was a Lutheran college. And so it all fit. And um, throughout college... I occasionally went to a club race, helped guys that Dad used to run with. Again, same thing, still a passion, would love to do this more, but wasn't going to work. And then my senior year, I had a communications class. Uh, It was called uh, Communications in the Economic Order. And at the end of the the term, I was required to do a term paper. And I finally, I think, found this class as a place where I could mix motorsport, motorsports marketing, and a true academic course. And I did my term paper, uh, and the title of it, which I still have in my files, was 200 miles per hour commercial uh, advertising in motorsports. Wow. And uh, I spent the entire term looking at how auto manufacturers had leveraged racing in their ads, and actually uh, brands like Camel. GT because they did a, a ton there with sure. Smoke and Joe and, and all that and how they, how they leveraged the, the sport of motorsport to tell their brand story and uh, I submitted that paper I worked harder on that paper than anything I'd ever done and the pages just came naturally. I'm just writing and writing and writing. And I think it was, had to be a 25-page paper. And I think it was somewhere the tune of 80 to 90 pages that I wrote. And went and studied all these ads from On Track Magazine to um, you know Auto Week to, to Sports Car. And sure. I, I collected all these ads. And I told the story of what I believed was why manufacturers did this. And so um, then a few guys that Dad ran with went pro racing. And they wanted to find corporate partners to afford to go pro racing. So I started doing some proposals on the side. Really? Uh, some guys doing World Challenge, some guys doing uh, Star Mazda, which started to come on at that time.
1: Now, are you doing these on a, as a volunteer to get experience? Or are you getting a little bit of money?
2: Yeah, I think it was I'll volunteer to do this and help you. And the guys are, you know, if, we, if you land something, John, we'll... You know, we'll get you tickets to the race. You know, you'll be you'll be a crew member <laughs> for the If you find weekend. me
1: 50 grand, I'm going to get you a grandstand seat. Yeah,
2: and it, or, you know, or and then it became, hey, if you find some sponsorship, you know, here's a percentage. And I was, again, fresh out of college, uh, stayed working at the college in the dormitories hmm. for a year. Then I was in the fundraising department, which certainly aligned with finding corporate partners for racing. And so some of these guys, I'd, so I'd work at the office all day and I'd spend the weekends building sponsorship proposals uh, for some of these guys. And uh, lo and behold, um, a few of them started a racing school, very small, and the star Formula Mazda uh, was, was around there in the mid-90s and it became a hot, a hot opportunity for young drivers and they wanted to do a school um, and so I thought, well, if it's a Mazda powered car, it ought to be a Mazda school. And uh, I worked all day on a Friday at the college, came home, and I placed a call out to Mazda Corporate in Irvine, and I asked for the VP of marketing. It was a guy at the time named Kevin Brown,, the mm. uh, receptionist put me through, and he picks up. <laughs> so now Were you' I'm expecting like, him to pick up.: I was not. Don't it's leave gonna a go voicemail. to you know it's Don't gonna go to yeah exactly exactly voicemail voicemail please and lo and behold he picks up and so now I'm like okay <laughs> oh, now crap. now what what oh. do I say now and I just told him the story and he said well I'd love I'd love to to hear you know what you have in mind send send me a proposal so it's 4:30 Central Time on a Friday I haven't started a proposal it's just an idea and so uh, I stay up all night. And uh, Saturday morning I go to Kinko's, yep. And uh, you know, I, I think I, I spent maybe three hundred dollars making color copies. Wow. You know, it's like at that time it was ridiculous money.
1: I worked at a Kinko's for a little <laughs> bit, yeah. We you got boy, that was that was a big color copies, center. you know, they oh. were like
2: four ninety nine ah. a page. Uh, so lo and behold, I build this proposal, it's spiral bound clear cover still have it in my files wow and i fedex because they had a fedex box at that time kinko's and fedex were not partnered and i fedex this proposal on a saturday morning to kevin brown who's the vp of marketing at mazda so monday morning he walks in and on his desk is a proposal for this racing school at gingerman raceway to have Mazdas and uh, road streetcars and Formula Mazdas as a teaching tool. It was a small school, you know, a handful of cars, but it was the first introduction to Mazda North America. Uh, Kevin calls me back after getting this proposal. So not only does he pick up the first call, which I'm shocked at, I stay up all night. I told my my wife at the time, yeah, this is great. I just wasted, you know, an all-nighter. Uh, on this deal, this is. But then I get a call back, and he, Kevin says to me, "Hey, look, um, this is really great, but it's a regional thing. We'd like to 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 walk before we run or crawl before we walk." Yeah. So I'm going to pass this on to a guy named Robert Davis. Wow. And little did I know, uh, Robert would become one of my best friends. But Robert was at that time taking what was a distributorship. Out of Grand Rapids, Michigan, and turning it into the Mazda Midwest region, which was going to be in the Chicago suburbs. And so um, Kevin passes it on to Robert. A couple of days later, Robert calls me. And so this is uh, now uh,
1: several weeks. I mean, this, well, first of all, this never happens. <laughs> it does Hi, not. I have this dream of doing a thing. And I'm going to call this major automotive manufacturer and want to talk to the main guy. Oh, and they put me through, and he likes it, and then he passes me on to someone else. I mean, you know, this is usually, and you know, on my seventeenth try, I finally got the the guy in the mailroom at Kia to at least not hang up on me. I mean, this is crazy, John.
2: It's like that bitch that uh, the the bit that Hinchcliffe does with uh, how he got the GoDaddy ride. I mean, it just yeah, yeah, and that's and that this is this is how it all happened. So. Uh, Robert calls says he's interested. He's going to be coming to the Chicago Auto Show with a couple of his buddies, Weldon Muncy, and a guy named well Brian did. Sim, who's going to be a good, uh, ultimately going to be a great friend, um, and and a lot of reasons why <laughs> I end up at Mazda. And then Robert says he's coming up to the June Sprints. So he ended up not being able to come to the Chicago Auto Show. He comes to the June Sprints, and um, we get on a golf cart and we drive around Road America, which is the track that I grew up at. Yeah, we sit on Fireman's Hill and have a bratwurst. Talk about both of our fathers who were racers. And, uh, you know, I shared my dream and I just said, look, uh, if ever any day comes up uh, where well, there's an opportunity at Mazda, I'd love to give you my resume. And a couple weeks later, I sent him my resume. Nothing ever came of it. I did some small projects for them in the Midwest region with show cars for the Chicago Auto Show and pace cars and ran a little Formula Mazda series in the Midwest unfortunately things didn't work out very well with that school i had to go back to augustana
1: so i'm i'm now back at the college and fundraising and what are you feeling at this point is Uh, it you had a a fun taste are you feeling personal disappointment
2: i think uh
1: anytime you're going back to college after you've graduated (laughs) i mean it's an obvious assumption that you're maybe not the happiest but i don't know
2: you know i think uh for me faith has been a big part of this whole journey um is my my personal dream you don't know what god has planned um i felt like uh you know i was nibbling at the edges Mm. of this dream and gosh i was praying that something would come of it but you know a little bit of that reality from earlier was like yeah son that's cool you want to dream about that but you gotta make a living you know a real job so i think there was a little bit of that setting in but in the back of my mind i was like you never know. Hmm. Maybe something's going to work out. And um, so I'm, I'm literally on a fundraising trip. The college choir and baseball team are touring in Florida. So my, the vice president of, of development and I are down in Florida visiting alumni, and we'd go to a baseball game during the day. We'd go to a choir concert at night. And on an off day, I drive from Orlando to Sebring to take uh, a guy named Cliff Wood to play golf hmm. and uh, we're playing on Tanglewood Golf Course in Sebring and you'll know it High, Highwood, Highway 27 and I've got my first cell phone which is you know the big bag satellite phone uh, with me size and, of your shoe exactly <laughs> and uh, the phone rings and Robert Davis calls and says uh, how about you move to Chicago and how about you come to work for Mazda?
1: Wow. And
2: I'm just blown away uh, that this is... And it's not motorsport at this time. It's an advertising manager position in Chicago, uh, Midwest region. Robert's going to actually get promoted. He's leaving. But he's talked to the gentleman who's going to replace him as the regional general manager and give me this dream chance. So uh, for a second time, I have to tell... Uh, the folks at the college that I'm leaving, finally. I, I've, I've got my diploma, and I'm leaving, and I'm going to come back, and then I'm going to leave again.
1: And I'm just, so you guys know, I'm probably going <laughs> to, just for the, in the future, there might be a third time I come and go, but at least you know.
2: But, uh, you know, the dream the dream comes true that day uh, in Sebring, not because I'm there for the race, but I'm, I'm there, and I'd never been to the race at that point, ever, in, in my, my entire life. And uh, so you know uh, i go to work in, in the midwest region i'd never been in the dealership side or the retail side of the automotive industry so on the first day i show up and meet these colleagues and you know I'm, i know for sure cuz they told me later like who's this clown he doesn't know anything about the auto industry yeah but you know it goes back to the passion that you and i share for the automobile for racing Uh, that so many people in the paddock share. And I knew, candidly, much like I was on the basketball court when I wasn't jumping higher than the other guys, I was going to outwork them. Yeah. Because that's what we do in racing. You outwork them. You never give up. You uh, have a goal and all-nighters and whatever it takes, you're
1: going to outwork them. I say that to people frequently. I have never claimed, nor would I ever claim, that I am great at what I do because I, I know the greats, I know them by name. I, I see their work and appreciate it. The one thing that I have that no one else has is the ability and will to outwork everybody. Yeah. So uh, that same that same spirit. It's amazing how much that serves people in this world. Again, we know the greats. Yeah. You know they're they're celebrated every year. And then there's the rest of us that say. All right. Well, if I bust my butt extremely hard, I might be able to at least be within the vapor trails yeah. of those that we admire.
2: Yeah, and you know, certainly growing up watching the Indy 500, going there every year except my college graduation in '93 um, for that race with my dad and my grandfather. Starting in '77, I was watching the Penske's of the world, and you know, you do, as you say, watch the greats and. You think, I'm going to get there someday. But it had to be that I was going to outwork them. I was going to stay later than anyone. I was going to stay up all night. I was going to come in on Saturdays. I was going to start earlier, and I was going to outwork them somehow. I was going to learn this business. I was going to go visit dealerships on my own, and I was going to start by walking in the back door of the dealership and seeing the guys in the shop where I had read that that's where the true financial stability of a dealership was, which is it was in the service department. And obviously I was a car geek. I uh, wasn't an engineer by degree. I was a marketing and business guy by degree, but we had built all the race engines in the shop at home, so I was I could get my hands dirty with the guys in the shop. I knew what was going on. I knew the parts. And so um, that's how I, how I did it. And um, in addition, um, I wanted to see Mazda back in top-level sports car racing. And so in addition to staying late in the office on regular work, I was actively seeking corporate sponsors to try to take us back at that time to the American Le Mans series. And um, so I would stay late, I'd get in early, Um, I would study, it was, honestly, the internet was just starting to become a real thing, and I was watching, you know, um, Crash.net, and they had, had, uh, you know, reports from the American Le Mans series and European racing series and Le Mans and all those things. So I was studying who the players were, who the chassis builders were, and I'm working at Mazda. Robert now is out in California at corporate. He's the VP of marketing and research and development. And so I go out and I uh, build a proposal to, to Robert to say, hey, let's, we, gotta, we should take Mazda back to uh, top-level sports car racing. That that was that was P six seventy five, you know, and uh, Robert loved the idea, but it wasn't in the cards budget wise. Mm. So he said, "You raise the money, we'll go back and do this." And uh, once again, I wasn't going to give up uh, until we raised the money. And in two thousand and five, uh, at Sebring, uh, we announced that we were coming back to America Le Mans Series with Sportsbook dot com.
1: Yes. I remember that. I have photos of it. Uh, it seemed like it was some sort of really shady, you know, uh, Cayman Islands money laundering. It was Costa Tony, Rica. Costa Rica, Tony Montana kind of uh, say hello to my little friend. I didn't know what it was, but if they paid actual money, I'd say that was an achievement in and of itself. Um,
2: it was wild. It was fantastic. They were wonderful people, and ironically, several years later, I ended up on a Mazda dealer incentive trip at a uh, private resort in Costa Rica where we hosted dealers who had had success on the wholesale part side, and literally, I'm sitting at the pool with our group of dealers, and several of the sportsbook.com people walk by, and they are there for a corporate celebration, wow. and so... Um, it's just funny how it worked, but yeah, we, we uh, took them, and they had challenges. They, they couldn't advertise based on federal law, traditionally. Yeah. So no TV spots, uh, no radio spots, yeah. but...
1: You can be a business, you just can't tell anyone that you exist.
2: This, this unique way of sports marketing in, in sports car racing, they could do, or you know, so it was at the time. And they gave us the chance to go back to top level sports car racing. Um, you know, we ran a three rotor. Uh, engines were done by Speed Source. The team was BK Motorsports. BK
1: Motorsports.
2: <laughs> you know, Formula Mazda team. I got to know them. Jamie yeah. Bach, young driver, he was an engineering student at University of Wisconsin Milwaukee. And I was doing some sponsorship work for them. And we did a deal with Sirius Satellite Radio uh, to get them back uh, or to get Jamie's career started. And. You know, just another home hometown family race team that wanted to go big time, and so we went. Uh, we went LMP2 racing, and uh, uh, it's just crazy how all the pieces fell
1: into place. So you have done all these things throughout your life and career, not really knowing that they were all going to add up to what they became. No. So tell me about this. All right, in. So you want You got a real job, but you want to go motor racing too, and we'll 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 indulge you if you can find the money. Knowing that Robert Davis is a racer himself and a pretty awesome guy, I'm, obviously he was supportive. But what was the general feeling that you got elsewhere? Was it? Oh, well, we told him that we'd do it if he found the money, and he found the money. I guess we've got to do it. Was it supportive? Was everyone supportive? Was there pushback? I mean, I'm asking a question I know a little bit of the answer to, but I can't imagine that this was just all ice cream and unicorns and super easy at every corporate level. So the
2: credit candidly goes to the executive team, to Robert, uh, to colleagues in Japan, when at that time our grassroots program uh, Steve Sanders had been doing a competition parts department for a while. I love Steve. Yeah, he's. Uh, I miss him. He's, he's retired now. He says uh, Fridays don't mean so much anymore, but Sunday nights are really cool. Mm. Um, but anyways, uh, that had really started to establish itself. So the executive team started to see motorsports as a business. There was a revenue and profit model. Um, and then Gary Rodriguez and his family had done – such incredible things with the Formula Mazda so that was starting to gain traction and uh, now Robert says yeah you raise the money we'll go do this. Now they almost can't say no. <laughs> <laughs> which is which is awesome but you know the raising the money was the easy part as hard as it was yeah. because now you got to make it happen yeah. and uh, all the pieces came together. Goodyear was a partner of the Star Mazda series so mm. went to Bob Schaefer and it begged for a partnership with Goodyear, you know, and so all these things start to come together, and uh, we've got a program, and we show up at Road Atlanta with a, garage chassis a Courage chassis <laughs> that ran literally two laps on the uh, the uh, uh, small circuit at Le Mans, um, you know, with Guy Cosmo wheeling it around yep. for a couple laps before it gets shipped over, and, uh, you know, I'm just... Uh, you know, we show up at Road Atlanta with no stickers on the car, and you know a race team that had never done a pit stop before, um, and 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 off to the races. And I think again, the credit goes to everyone at Mazda for embracing it, and then start thinking about all right, this is great that we're out doing this, but now we got to start telling a story. Yeah. So we're going to do a print ad, um, we're going to do um, maybe a TV spot, and the agency starts to get involved and we're going to make this investment in racing, we better make it ha, make it have an impact to people that are shopping the Mazda brand long about that time the zoom zoom campaign hits. Mm. So now motorsport and zoom zoom are aligned and uh you know, so all the pieces do fall into place and um it doesn't happen by accident. Uh it happens by energy, effort, hard work. Um but it it happens by being in the right, right place at the right time and uh, there's uh, every day I, I, I get up and I um, get to experience a boyhood dream. Um, but you know, for for a company that, uh, since I was nine years old, has meant the world to me uh, as a brand.
1: So you set this initial bar of we're bringing Mazda North America back to professional motor racing grassroots feel to it in the beginning, definite and so by the time 2000, end of 2005 we have Penske show up for the last race with their RS Spider.
2: That was like a knife in the heart.
1: They, they come back full season 2006, 7, 8, Acura comes in. Um, you are quickly position. well, you entered a class initially that was Privateer, Pro Am, the the camel lights of uh, the ALMS, and all of a sudden it is factory warfare, more than LMP1. I mean, (laughs) Audi was here in P1, but Audi really didn't have anyone to fight against. All of a sudden you find, holy moly, Sportsbook would need to, uh, they would need to have a thousand time improvement in their annual profits to help us take on these crazy folk. That has to become different for you, right? Because the money that you're going to be able to find or Mazda might allocate... Let's be realistic. Porsche is going to spend trillions if they could. Acura is going to spend trillions. How do you manage that? Because you can't say, hey, I came up with this idea and it's kind of my fault that it's here, but we're just going to be okay getting our butt kicked because of cubic dollar disparity... How do you fight to win on the marketing side, telling the story, but then also having to be competitive, too? I mean, that this was not easy, brother. No. Do you hold um, any grudges against Acura and, and Porsche, <laughs> by the way?
2: No, but I, I... So, two things. One, early on when I went to visit Robert and originally told him that I'd love to take us back to top-level sports car racing, he took me to our R&D center in Irvine. And in the center of the, the main offices, there's a, uh, a rock garden, a Japanese rock garden. And there are two rocks and a little waterfall in between of them. Um, on one rock is a uh, photo uh, screen print of the 787B. And on the other rock, in Japanese, is the Eternal Promise that Yamamoto-san gave, or his eternal challenge, rather, to his engineers, which was the never give up or the challenger spirit. Um, and so that mantra has stuck with me since writing the first proposals, to sports book, and showing up at Road Atlanta. And that day, I, sh- I had bracelets made, that you know these rubber bracelets that everybody yep. wears today, which are so special for lots of reasons. Uh, the ones I found had buttons, <laughs> but it was rubber. And it said never stop challenging, and I handed them out to every team member. Couldn't contain myself, um, but here we are. The, the dream has now come true. That's at April of '05, ALMS race in the spring. Fast forward to right here at Mazda Raceway Laguna Seca, to what you mentioned as Penske shows up in, in the season finale with the RS Spider, And I had my digital camera. You know, ran on batteries, I think double A's, in the paddock, set by Ron Sharp, who was a racing friend of my father's all the years growing up, and I now have his MG Midget in my stables, but on the pavement, Ron would put down uh, racer's tape, duct tape, with the name of the team that's going to be paddocked, and I have BK Motorsports Mazda Penske Wow. So our duct tape. So I stand above this and it's like okay.
0: Time we've we've arrived. Wow. We've arrived
2: and um of course the race goes Pensky's way. They show up in their first outing, win the race, and now it's oh my gosh, you know this is real. Now we're here. We got to go back to corporate and we got to decide that we're going to bring um you know a pistol to a bazooka fight. Uh we need to We need to bring something special uh, that can compete with these factory juggernauts that uh, were Porsche, Penske, Acura with Highcroft and Andretti and eventually uh, DeFerrin and it just...
1: Fernandez. Yeah, exactly.
2: And like you say, uh, this just got serious.
1: So how do you go about that? Because you are now the guy. Obviously you're working, continuing to work with Robert Davis, but... You're now being looked at internally as the person who has had this passion, has helped bring Mazda back into this space. How much of your job at that point is managing expectations on a corporate level, but also having to know that a podium is possible, you know, a win would be a wonderful thing, but If Mazda is looking to you to create something that is going to help to sell more cars, improve the company's reputation, and you have others with resources beyond measure, how does that change your job and what you have to do? Because you can't legitimately go and say, hello everyone at corporate. If we don't win every race this year, I've failed. Because if you say that, you are essentially writing your ticket to work for someone else at the end of the year. <laughs> for sure. Um, so it was a lot
2: of that same mentality of you got to raise the money. So literally in the motorsports budget, there was a line item <laughs> called, uh, and it's still there to this day, Motorsports Recovery. And I had to go out and find corporate partners to help fund this um step up to compete with those factory programs um we weren't gonna have it wasn't in the cards to have a factory effort at that time um so i had to find a bunch of smaller partners to piece it together serious satellite radio i did a a media barter partnership with road and track magazine where i remember uh john driscoll and and uh his staff were kind enough to give me advertising pages, and I worked with a media barter firm to to turn those into to cash dollars for us to go racing. It was it was it was partnerships like that. Goodyear was a partner for a long time. Kumo tire, a Yokohama tire, you know, um, you know. And I, I never want to say this towards those brands, but we were we were still. A B team hmm. among those factory juggernauts. Yeah. That's no disrespect to anybody that worked in the programs or any of the corporate partners or our engine partners or our chassis, but we were, we were a B team. and um, But I wanted to make it always feel like an A team, uh, operate on a PR and marketing uh, level like an A team in hopes that long about uh, hard work and effort, we might land a corporate partner. A bigger corporate partner and that continued and I had to continue to go to the executive team uh, as the internal expert if you will on top level sports car racing endurance racing and continue to tell them that these were the right decisions to make and they would they invested in a partnership with AER to get us going on that uh, 07 season to start developing the four-cylinder turbo which aligned with our vehicle lineup at the time we had mazda speed uh, road cars and just the protege and the mazda speed three and all those things started to come to life so it was just again planets aligning right place right time but i had to continue to to say i was going to go raise the money it was always going to be on us to raise the money and and validate or or sustain the program
1: and so i'm guessing that the the one thing that you knew you could do to a high level, no matter the on track competition, was go back to corporate and say, "And here is the the ad in this magazine, or here is you know the feature in this magazine, or in this newspaper, or whatever it is. Here is some sort of positive something. We, they might be talking about us finishing fourth, but." We're interested in racing, but also telling a story that is additive to the Mazda brand. Yes. Was that a big component that you brought into what you were doing? Because we see it.
2: Yeah, it was crazy, Marshall. I had to. I, I literally had to be the PR function. Um, I had to be... I, I, I didn't know who Paul Fanner was. Um, who? Exactly. But I went to racer. And begged for an in-focus coverage on this garage you know, 3 rotor and eventually the Lola AER. I was begging for that kind of coverage. I was begging for a story to tell the story about what we were doing against these juggernauts. I was trying to keep all the corporate partners happy. You know, literally on race days, uh, I'm in my flame suit because an ALMS you had to be in flame suits to yep. be in the pits. I'm literally sticking tickets for corporate partners, in envelopes on the pit stand, you know, during morning warm-up, and either running them out to registration myself <laughs> or begging someone to take them out to registration myself. I was I was doing crazy stuff Way like that, much. just try to keep it all together, um, and you know, beg corporate, beg the ad agency. Fortunately, I didn't have to beg too hard. Robert was overseeing marketing. The agency folks understood the Zoom Zoom messaging, so it all aligned. But it was a continuous push to try to make sure that we were using the investment, leveraging it, and having it make an impact on people's buying decisions when it came to the Mazda brand. And um, that continues to this day. We have a crazy, crazy program now. But, um, you know, it had to be piecing together all the business components and the PR and marketing communications because we just, we just didn't have a staff. It was people focused on the day-to-day business at Mazda, not motorsports, uh, now that's different, but it was that way in the beginning.
1: You have this top prototype effort, sports car presence. Tell me about the the motivations or the concept for what became and ha- what exists today as the Mazda Road to Indy. And I'll ask about the Road to 24 After because that... You know, has been a, a development that's come along in more recent years, but where did that idea come from? Because we've had ladder systems for decades. Yep. Haven't always been formal, Yeah. haven't always been prizes. I mean, heck, when Brian Herta won his 1993 Indy Lights Championship, his mate, big prize was a free 94 Lola IndyCar tub. <laughs> Which, he, which is, you know, worth 400 grand or something, but it was then his, or, you know, rolling chassis to then use that to entice someone to take him, maybe. I don't know, but, no, yeah. oh, you need engines and tires, don't you? And people to work on it, you know? But it, there have been prizes and incentives, but we rarely have ever had a formalized ladder with guaranteed incentives. Where did that idea come from? So, again
2: credit where credit's due Gary Rodriguez had invested a ton in taking his sons Mark and Tony racing in Star, in Mazda. Star Mazda you know the Tommy Kendall's the Johnny O's uh, I've, driven the da- I've
1: driven down to that yeah. facility to pick up uh, pick up chassis that I had to build for yeah, Jan Beekes I mean
2: those guys raced in Star Mazda what was originally Russell but Mazda had started to invest a little bit in promoting the pro Mazda Star Mazda at the time the RX-8 was launched in 2004 so that aligned with that. It was a rotary-powered formula car. We launched the new uh, Star Mazda Renesis rotary that we just, you know, put to bed here at the end of 2017 with Victor Franzoni's championship. But they had started to invest a little bit there. Then Skip Barber Racing School knocks on the door, and they are looking for a new manufacturer partner. So at 2007 at the PRI show, uh, we announced. Mazda Speed Driver Development Ladder, which is we're going to take a young driver out of Skip Barber and give them a chance to go to Pro Mazda. And, you know, back in 05, Gary wanted to entice or enhance his prize package for Star Mazda, so the Star Mazda champ got a test in the LMP2 Mazda. Rafael Matos and I went to Buttonwillow Raceway. (laughs) It was Rafael, myself, and Ron Roland, and we gave Raphael his test day in the LMP2 car. And he earned the seat to run the 12 hours of Sebring in that Courage uh, in 06 um, as the 05 Star Mazda champ. But um, So the Skip Barber thing falls into place in 0, um, uh, 05. Uh, Star Ma- uh, Skip Barber's there. Then uh, Vicky O'Connor knocks on
1: our door. The great Vicky O'Connor.
2: Yeah, and says, hey, we're bringing the Swift 016A. Um, we're looking for an engine partner for Atlantic, and sure enough, um, we decide we're going to run the MZR uh, engine in the Atlantic. So once again, all these pieces fall into place, and we start. We have a driver development ladder, um, you know, to take kids from karting to skip barber to Pro Mazda, Star Mazda to Atlantic, then to Champ Car. Um, with the Atlantic champ getting a, a champ car ride. And Robert says, while we're at it, let's just do the same thing with grassroots racing. We've got grassroots racing. The new MX5 is here in 06. We're going to do the MX5 Cup. Um, we did another deal with Sirius Satellite Radio. It was a Sirius Satellite Radio Cup. And then we're going to send that champion to World Challenge where we had TriPoint and Tyndall yeah. and Mazda 6s. So now all these things fall into place. We've got, but it's called the Mazda Speed. Uh, motorsports development ladder for drivers and uh, you know Robert as a racer a lot of the other executives know that it's an expensive sport nobody's done a true you know you win you get a scholarship to go to the next level and uh all those things fell into place and uh Then Dan Anderson, another person that's... We're going to throw that in again. The great Dan Anderson. Yeah, invested in young driver development in USF 2000. He happens to be a team owner in Gary Rodriguez's series. IndyCar comes to Dan and says, hey, why don't you start that USF 2000 championship back up that you had? So now an additional piece starts to fall into place. And someone says, you know, why don't we call this the Road to Indy? And Dan is is running non-Mazda-powered cars at the time, but lo and behold... He's been forgiven since then. Yes, but lo and behold, they're looking for a new engine. We've obviously done the MZR engine for Atlantic. Why not do an MZR for the F2000 cars, and all these things fall into place, and uh, that Road to Indy becomes the Mazda Road to Indy and um, once again dream comes true uh, to be at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway as part of that great event and having a role in giving drivers a chance and as Victor Franzoni says give them hope that they could make it to the to the top.
1: So there's no way we're going to do the John Doonan story in a single podcast. It's going to be three, if not seven. Um, and we need to let you go here in a couple minutes. So I'm going to let's close let's close on the Mazda Road to Indy, knowing that we're, we'll pick up next time on the Mazda Road to 24 and so many other things. So this hasn't always been easy. From the standpoint of... If we look today at the Verizon IndyCar series... There are two engine manufacturers... One of them isn't Mazda... And the other one isn't Mazda... And yet... The... Farm system... The... The... The college ball... That... Created... 2017 champion... Joseph Newgarden... Uh... 2016 champ... Simon Pagineau so many others, whether it's on the actual Mazda Road to Indy or in other series, it could be a Barber Dodge, part of this ladder system, Uh, IndyCar, I think, especially in this new administration, realizes what a treasure and gem that Mazda and Anderson Promotions, Cooper Tire and whatnot bring. But tell me about some of those early years of trying to make it into what it's become where you knew that if you had to pick up the phone for some people or someone, certain people's names lit up on your phone calling you, it, it might not be true hand-in-hand because hand those manufacturers didn't really see you as an ally.
2: Yeah, it's it's been tough and it continues to be tough because we're not in the top... Series um, questions internally about why you continue to do this when we're sending people to go drive for another brand. Not only in open wheel, but in sports cars, we got plenty of our guys running for factory programs. Which, personally, and I think for most of us at Mazda, it's a huge pride factor to see those people that we've helped have a chance. Um, whether it's John Edwards, Joey Hand, you know those guys, Pagano, New Garden have. Have gotten that chance, Spencer Pigot, most recently at Jones. You know these guys had seen the Mazda program as their way, their path. Um, but it, there has been some challenges. I mean, I and huge respect for the Holman family, the Holman George family, and what they've invested in in IndyCar and making it what it is today. Um, but I've always just wished that we would have a seat at the table among everybody, um, the other manufacturers, the administration, the po- folks at the speedway. Um, I do feel like we are there or close now. Um, when IndyCar says to IndyCar teams, "If you give these Mazda Road to Indy kids a test, you get X, Y, and Z benefits for your IndyCar team," when we're at the Freedom 100. On Friday afternoon and the announcer there is saying Mazda and Mazda wrote to Indy more than he's saying those other brands and I'm trying to catch it on my phone so I can show it back to everybody (laughs) Um, when I am sitting in the pagoda at the brickyard in pre-race for the Freedom 100 getting interviewed on national television Um, you know I just can't believe it You know, it's, it's, it's all happened. And, you know, when I started building the open wheel thing with Robert, he said, we need karting, go, go figure out, go karting. And I went to Scusa, I went to WKA, I went to Rotax, I went to Mark Dismore, and I tried to learn karting. It's the most fragmented thing in the world. Uh, I'm trying to, you know, who do I sponsor? What series and this? And we just became friends of all of them. And, um... You know, some of these kids, Spencer Piggott, Sage Karam, you know, Connor DeFilippi, these kids I knew when they were in karting, Mm. and now when they win championships, you know, when Spencer won the Indy Lights Championship, and we've set up a program where you can't play favorites, but when that moment happened here at Mazda Raceway for Spencer, it was a culmination of saying, I've seen this kid... Uh, from go karts with his parents to to now he's going to go race in the Indy 500. I mean, you know, for someone like you, myself, and others in the sport, it's like I, can't, I you can't even contain yourself.
1: And what does it say that about how that kid was just signed as a full time Indy car driver? for one of Chevy's two top teams and that kid is now a brand new full-time member of the Bowtie family but you pick up the phone and talk to him about just about anything and I can guarantee you the name Mazda is going to be mentioned about nine times because no matter where else he drives whatever team, whatever manufacturer that kid uh, bleeds Mazda and knows that without what you, Kyle Kimball Robert Davis, so many others, Jim Bowie have done um, he would not be in that role or that opportunity so that's the thing that I think is amazing and I'm. it's been nice to see some more folks in on my side of the profession start to pick up on that recently, there aren't enough who do and I hope more do and realize that there's there's a way and a light, yeah. <laughs> and it's being provided. And for those who are truly talented and uh, invest themselves, it's pretty amazing stories come out of it, brother.
2: Yeah, and and there was a ton of internal discussion throughout this process of the Maseru to Indy becoming real and the Maseru to 24 is when someone is standing in victory lane on Memorial Day weekend at Indianapolis with a wreath around their neck and someone handing them a bottle of milk. And it's going to happen. It's going to happen. What we talked about is we may not be powering their car then, but what I want to hear over that loudspeaker and on the TV broadcast is I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Mazda. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Mazda. And this year, when Joseph won the championship, there were plenty of articles, to your point, of people who finally said, "This Mazda Road to Indy thing." Even though Joseph might have, you know, been doing some other stuff, eventually Indy Lights. But he was he was on that Mazda Road to Indy. He wore the patch on his suit. But there's a bunch coming behind him that it's going to happen at the indy 500 and there's going to be more future indycar champions that have come from this system and i think the validation is going to be that day when they stand there you know borg warner in hand and say i wouldn't be here if it wasn't for mazda and you know i i'm hopefully standing right with them in victory lane but also uh, wherever i am watching that um you know you'll see a grown man and plenty of others cry because uh that's what this whole thing's been about is giving people a chance and I think when Victor Franzoni you were there said that in Victory Lane at Watkins Glen you know that was the same situation it wasn't a dry eye in the house uh, because we're doing it for Victor but the hundreds of others little boys and girls that are at go-kart tracks with their parents you know trying to tune their go-kart praying that they get a chance and um Man, <laughs> that's pretty cool.
1: All right, so we're going to circle back on one final thing that I need to let you go. So when you're standing there in Victory Lane, I know you're not going to be drinking regular milk. <laughs> you're going to be drinking chocolate milk. So do you want to tell folks about how this Pruitt-Dunan tradition started? You started it. Yeah. I blame you. I remember the time and place, but I'll let you tell it. Well, it's, a, I it's, have to admit, it's one of my favorite little things yeah, it rolls that no back, one knows about.
2: It rolls back to... Uh, the mid-70s when we rolled out of our little neighborhood in Wheaton, Illinois, and uh, there was a 7-Eleven at the end of this street before we got onto the main road to get on the highway to go to Blackhawk Farms or Road America, and I always got to go into 7-Eleven and get a treat. And uh, I always got a little carton of chocolate milk to take with me in the car and probably some Twinkies that we could sit here and eat today because they they're, still, they're still preserved. But I always got chocolate milk, so that's been my my race day tradition uh, to this day is uh, getting a a thing of chocolate milk before uh, the race. And I think uh, with you uh, and I talking about our our love for chocolate milk, uh, I sat one there at your place in Daytona before the Rolex 24.
1: Five, six, seven years ago, whatever it was, I come in in the morning and find a bottle of chocolate milk Waiting for place. me at my little desk, yeah. and I don't care what else might have happened. That was instantly going <laughs> to be the best part of my day, period. And that was that was Saturday morning, about to start a 24-hour race.
2: Yeah, and I, to this day, uh, every single year, um, I've made it a personal tradition to get into the garage area, whether the team's showing up when it opens or not at Daytona. Get into the garage area before anyone else go into the garage by myself and sit right next to the race car drink my chocolate milk before the race starts and hope and pray that uh we'll celebrate a rolex 24 victory here real soon
1: so as you have time or availability you'll drop off a bottle of chocolate milk for me, or I will today. <laughs> show I, I up at the pit to, stand. Yep, show up at the pit stand. I forget where we were recently, but uh, we, yeah, you were on pit lane for something, and everyone's looking very busy and hurriedly, I just kind of knocked your knee and handed you a bottle of chocolate milk, <laughs> and everyone turned and looked at me like, <laughs> what, what in the hell is wrong with that guy? Some dude in the middle of the session handed a grown man a bottle of chocolate milk, and you and I were just happy as idiots because that's the way it should be. But. Yeah. That's uh that's one of very few traditions that I share at the racetrack with anyone but uh,
2: and then enter Rob Dyson and his uh
1: oh gotta drink it like yeah. scotch oh, you gotta sip it. We're gonna talk about Dyson when we do part two that guy is still in the doghouse with me that guy straight up lied about getting me a gallon <laughs> of that chocolate milk but we'll uh we'll spill some tea on him later brother you know I
0: love you.
2: Love you too, and thanks for the opportunity. You've told so many of our stories, but more importantly, you've told the stories of our racers. Whether it's Mazda Road to Indy, Mazda Road to Twenty Four, our grassroots uh, drivers—men, uh, women—that have uh, dedicated their hard-earned dollars to going out and pursuing their passion of racing. And uh, you are the best storyteller in the business. We appreciate it. No, don't and, start uh, that silliness.
1: We'll uh, keep telling them. Well, we'll uh, we're gonna send you off here and plan on doing a part two as soon as we can and there goes a farty sounding Honda which is a, a perfect coda so brother <laughs> I love you and uh, enjoy the rest of your weekend thanks
2: man
0: and thank you for listening to my racing life and career with John Doonan here in the Marshall Pruitt podcast thank you to our partners Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers for supporting all that we do Now, if this is your first time listening you can find everything that we do on marshallpruittpodcast.com. There's also a subscribe page there where whether it is Apple Podcasts or one of many other popular ways of getting downloads or live streaming of our podcasts. Plenty to choose from there. All right. I am Marshall Pruitt. This is the Marshall Pruitt podcast. Thank you for listening.